tonight, Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. We're going through this epistle verse by verse, which if you haven't figured out yet, I like that because it forces us to address things that we may otherwise not want to address. For six weeks now, we've addressed the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, and that's very much needed, as it has been in every generation. We're not the first generation to experience marriage problems. It was in the early church. It was certainly in the Old Testament. It's needed because it's the most important relationship in your life outside of your relationship with Christ. And yet, we let people just haphazardly enter into the most important relationship without ever giving them the tools they need to have a successful marriage. And so it's needed for those who are married, it's needed for those who are single to help us prepare for the most important thing, most important decision we would make. And yet, so many times, especially in our independent Baptist circles, we let the issue just fall by the wayside. How is it that we enter into a covenantal marriage relationship until death do us part, and we never receive biblical instruction on how to do it. A great marriage will make the difference between a great life and a dismal life. Solomon figured that out. And he didn't know much about marriage, apparently. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's a mess right there. It's enough with just one wife. Amen. I don't know what those guys were thinking. Even when you walk with God and have that right relationship with Him and you have a strong relationship with God, it still brings turmoil into a life when our homes are not functioning as God has designed them to be. It's interesting because there are those who are in a relationship where one spouse is walking with God And the other spouse is not walking with God. And even though the one walking with God has peace with God, yet in the home, there's all kind of problems. You see, even if one person is doing all that they know to do, unless the other gets on board, there's going to be problems. Because let me tell you, there's going to be problems no matter what. (laughs) Because the enemy doesn't want us to have godly homes. And so we must set the home in order, in the order in which God has designed it, if we want to have homes where the love of God can be found, where the peace of God dwells. Homes that are not built according to God's blueprint, homes that are built upon the sand, will shift when the storms come. I'll remind you that when Jesus gave the illustration of the homes, one being built upon a rock and one being built upon the sand, that both homes experienced the same storms. They both saw the rains descend, the floods rise, and the winds beat upon the house. But one stood, and that was the one built upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, And the other built upon the sand fell. 
you're going to have storms. But how you weather those storms and what will determine that is whether or not you followed God's blueprint. Now let's read chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we're not going to focus on marriage tonight. <laughs> wow, nobody said amen. It must have been going so well. But before I get to the main message, I do want to briefly just mention verse 32 here. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church Marriage is a great mystery because of how it relates to the church. We are espoused to Christ as a body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to, be, have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. A marriage is to represent Christ in the church. That's what it's to picture. And I'm, like I said, I'm not going to dwell here, although maybe we should hear an entire sermon on this. But as you look at your marriage, how well does your marriage represent Christ and the church? Now, I understand it's a great mystery. But are those things that we've covered over the last six weeks evident in your marriage? When one looks at a godly marriage, there is a testimony of Christ and the church. But how does it look when our marriage is terrible? How does it look when we're always fighting and feuding and then we're asked, where do you go to church? I go to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. You see, our marriage relationship is to reflect the church. And, and you've heard me say it many times, and I'll keep saying it for as long as I'm alive. Strong families make a strong church. And so we, we've got to have this right. How does it reflect upon Christ when we don't have that right? When believers get married, our marriage is to be a testament of Christ in the church. So I hope you can see how serious all this is that we've been covering about our marriage. Now, for tonight's emphasis... Remember that this epistle is loaded with church doctrine. And the set of verses that I read tonight mention the church six times. And I think sometimes we may emphasize the marital aspect of this text that we kind of go past what's being said about the church. But remember that this epistle is teaching us about 
Christ's church. So before we move on to chapter 6 and start to consider the children, they're easy to pick on because they're not in here. Amen. And we need to take tonight to look again at these verses with the church in mind. In particular, this local assembly that we call Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. We see in verse 23 that Christ is the head of the church. We must always keep this front and center in our minds and in our hearts as we serve together in this body. The ministry area that you serve in tonight, it is not your ministry. It is Christ. He is at the head. All of our Sunday school classes belong to God. Junior church classes belong to God. The academy belongs to God. The press belongs to God. The nursing home, the jail ministries, they all belong to God. This pulpit belongs to God. This pastorate belongs to God. It never belonged to Pastor Williams, and it doesn't belong to me. I am just an interim pastor. Do you understand that? I'm just passing through. And if liberty's going to continue until the Lord comes back, and if He tarries until I'm gone, somebody else will be the pastor. And they're going to have to have the mindset that this is not my church. It's not my pulpit. This belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what will keep all of these areas of ministry thriving is when we serve with the understanding that they are not ours. He is at the head. We are just stewards occupying till He comes. This is important to know because it will bring contentment in the areas in which you have been called to serve. It helps us to see that we all serve together. That this is Christ's body and we are members of His body. Therefore, as the head, He gets to call all the shots. Amen. Understanding this also keeps us from coveting what is not ours to have. Sometimes people come into a new church with a motive. They have something in mind that isn't pure. And they desire something that's not theirs to have. And they may come in with the idea of some plant, supplanting somebody so that they may have a ministry. We won't do that when we realize that Christ is at the head. Any staff that I bring on here will be those who have no desire to be the pastor of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Because that's where God has called me. And I have to guard against those who will seek to come in and take over and lead a ministry that God hasn't called them to. And there are people, listen, I've heard the testimonies that come in and lead an insurrection just to take a following. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, it says, For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall 
men arise of your own selves. Shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples unto them. And I don't want any who are serving here whose objective is to draw disciples away unto themselves. We have heard testimonies of those who have entrusted others with ministries just to find out that they had other objectives. And I don't want that happening here. We can't always prevent it, but we need to be on guard nonetheless. The same goes for all other ministries. It's not just the pastorate. I'm just serving in that capacity. I'm just part of the body. And it goes for all ministries. For example, I know that God sent Brother Long here to lead our music and to lead our youth. So I don't want those coming in here trying to take that over. It's okay to have people supplement those areas, but I'm looking for those who will help and not hinder. Not those who think they can do better. Uh, Pastor, this is what I feel like God's calling me to do. Okay, where are you at on Sunday night? Where are you at on Wednesday night? Where are you at during Sunday school? You see, you can't just be a flash in the pan. And oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, I can feel it. And so we've got to make sure that with Christ being at the head, He says who goes where. The same is true for our bus ministry. I know God called Brother Chavez there. And so knowing that, I'm looking for those who will help, but not those who want to take it over from Him. But some who will work under His leadership as He works under my leadership, as I work under Christ's leadership. Do you see how that works? The same is true for our academy and our press. These men lead these areas. They're called by God to it. And it's not ours to take away from them. Amen. Even David, who had been anointed king, said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He had every reason to kill Saul, physically speaking. The man tried to kill him. He had every reason in our eyes to take matters into his own hands. He had already been anointed as king. It just wasn't God's time yet. And yet he said, I will not touch God's anointed. He waited for God's timing. If and when the day should come when they're no longer feeling led by God to head those areas up, then so be it. But until that day, they are called to it. And those who may have a desire to help are certainly welcome to do so, but not with intention of taking over. Why? Because Christ is at the head. He's the head of our church. Our ministries belong to Jesus. He is our supreme authority in the church. He gets to decide who serves where, not us. Now, as your pastor, God will certainly give me peace about where you may want to serve Him in. In other words, you can't just come to me and say, this is what I feel led to do and expect to jump right in it. There has to be time to build credibility and faithfulness to the body of Christ beforehand. The Apostle Paul wrote to 
Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So first, you must yourself be faithful. We don't want to thrust ministries upon those who are not faithful. It needs to be those who are committed to the work of God as faithful men and women. Those who can teach others also. Get grounded first. Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy 1.12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The Lord didn't put Paul into the ministry until he had counted him faithful. Then the Lord put him in there. Why should anyone else expect anything less? If you'll be faithful, then God will put you into a ministry. And then you won't have to force it. It'll just happen. Amen. Trust me, I didn't force myself into the pastorate. (laughs) Nobody in their right mind would do that. It just happened. Thank you, Lord. I am having the time of my life. I'm just... Uh, Anyway, get the five to thrive principle down first. You see that in my Sunday morning propaganda slides. I call that my propaganda presentation. Five to thrive. That's what you need to get down first. Prayer, Bible, church, witnessing, giving. Become faithful in those areas. And until you become faithful in those areas... You're not ready to head up a ministry. I don't know why I got so preachy tonight, but I'm starting to get, I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to feel the storm come on. Uh, There's areas you can serve by all means. We want people to serve. Amen. Uh, We'll put anybody to work. But to head up a, a ministry, to lead a ministry, that doesn't happen until there's proven faithfulness. And for some reason... Since I'm on this roll here, let me say this. If you don't give faithfully to the church, you have no business leading up a ministry. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't check to see who gives and who doesn't. Maybe I should. Then I would know whose heart is here. And whose hearts are somewhere else. By the way, just in case you question that, I have every right to look. God told me to take the oversight thereof. So I have every right to look. I just choose not to. So this church and therefore its ministries and therefore her servants all belong to God. With Christ at the head. He gets to choose who serves where. Acts 20, 24 says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul recognized that the work he was doing upon this earth was given to him by the Lord. He said, I've received this from the Lord Jesus. There are many who could have pastored this church. In fact, there were many who were far better than me. And there were many who wanted to. But the Lord didn't give them that. Everybody with me? And so 
it's, who, it's the Lord choosing who gets what. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with how the Lord divides it all up. I've known those who have been very discontented in this life because God never did what it was they wanted Him to do with their life. Now, the Bible says it's a, you're, you desire a good work if you desire the office of a bishop. But just because you desire it doesn't mean you get it. And there are those who have lived their life and they're miserable because they're mad at God because He didn't do what they wanted Him to do. Listen, it's His church. And He gets to decide. We have to be okay with this. Some people leave church because they don't feel like they're utilized as they want to be utilized. But it's not up to you. It's up to Christ. But listen, ministries are not ours to take. They are the Lord's to give. Now, how can I in good conscience place someone in a ministry where they are entrusted to teach another how to be faithful, how to walk with God, and they're not even walking with God themselves? Amen. He's the head of the church, which is his body, because he died for her. The end of verse 23 says he is the savior of the body. We are a blood-bought church tonight. Hallelujah. Acts 20, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He gets to call the shots because he's the one that bought it. When I was growing up, I did not get to buck my dad's authority. He put the roof over my head. He put the clothes on my back. And he put those nasty Brussels sprouts and coleslaw in front of me. So he gets to call the shots because he's the one that bought it. We weren't the ones tortured. We weren't the ones who bled and died upon a cross. We didn't rise from the grave and we sure haven't ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so Christ did all those things and then God put all things under His feet. Next we see in verse 24, Therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, we're to be under His authority. As a church body. We're not under the authority of the deacons. We're not under the authority of a committee. We're not under the authority of those who give big financial gifts. That'd be nice to be tempted to do that. So give a big financial gift and we'll see about giving you special privilege. We'll put your name, big letters on each chair. Karen. First class seating right there. Amen. Well, let me also say that while we're not, uh, while we are ultimately under Christ's authority, the Bible does teach that a church is to be a pastor-led church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. I hope that's not a source of contention for you tonight. Because that's Bible. The buck has to stop somewhere and God's given that to the pastor. Not the deacons, not the laymen, not the sporadic attenders. The verse I just read says, I have to give an account. And boy, do I live with that. 
you're not going to stand in judgment for how this church was led. But I will. And I must make sure that I lead this church to be in subjection to Christ. It's not about you subjecting yourself to me in the sense that I'm the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't really like the idea of some churches that teach that I'm to bless whatever car you buy. I really don't care what you buy. If you can afford the 800, do it. As long as you're tithing and giving. Live off the, your, live off the labor of your hands. That's, listen, Solomon said that's good. That's good under the sun to do those things. But I'm not going to tell you what car to buy. I'm not here to tell you how God is, is leading in your life in this area and that area and, and what you need to do and what color of clothes you need to wear. And We see in verse 25 that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. No one in here loves the church tonight more than Christ. He gave himself for it. No one in here loves the church more than God. And because that is true, we must always be assured that He will never lead us astray. That He will always do what's best for us. That He will always guide us the right way. We just need to be in tune with Him to follow His leading. To hear what He is saying. To understand what it is we're to do. Verse 27 in our hurry says that we are a glorious church. Did you know we're splendid in the eyes of Christ tonight? We are beautiful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are His desire. We are the apple of His eye. We are the reason that He longs for the day. For the trumpet to sound. That we may be caught up together. And be with Him forever. We are what He is waiting for. Only the Father knows the timing. And, And listen, the world may not like how we look upon this earth. They may not long for us to be around. But we are not second class in the eyes of the Lord. We are the Lord's inheritance. We are the Lord's people. And we are the Lord's body. And finally, verse 29, we see that the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. He brings us to maturity. He protects us. Now, obviously, I believe you need to have a personal walk with God. And you need to be in your Bible daily. You need to be in prayer. You need to have devotional time with the Lord. But can I tell you also tonight, you need the church. You need the assembling together of the body. It's good for your maturity. It's good for your protection as a believer. You need preaching. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We gather together so that we can grow. You and your family need to be under preaching. When someone tries to sound spiritual by saying, I don't really need the church, then I know immediately you haven't grown an inch. Amen. How can we say we don't need what Christ instituted and gifted? He not only matures the church, but He protects it. There will be tribulations and persecutions in this world below. But God watches over us. The gates of hell cannot prevail against His church. Why? Because it's His body and He's already defeated the enemy. Hallelujah. But even if there are persecutions, 
which the Bible says those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will be protected from this world if you live with the church. Now, what I mean by that is you will have peace about it all. You will be strengthened. You will be armed with what you need in this life. There's something about coming together. I love Wednesday night because we pray together. And I wish more would really get serious about getting a hold of God on Wednesday night. Not just pray little two-minute prayers and walk out there in fellowship. But get a hold of God. It's what we need. Christ is the head of the church. The church is to be subject to Christ. Christ loves the church. It's glorious in His eyes and He nourishes and cherishes the church. Now why wouldn't you want to be as faithful as you possibly could to that? Why not try to be here for every church service that God will let you be here? You say you know Christ. What part of the body are you? Where do you serve? You say you know Christ. Why aren't you subject to Him and gather together with Him corporately? You say you know Christ. Why don't you love the church the way He does? You say you know Christ. Why don't you see the church as beautiful as He sees it? And you say you know Christ. Why don't you assemble for nourishment and protection to be cherished? Here's the bottom line tonight, and I'll close. You can't say you love Christ completely and then neglect the gathering together of the body of Christ. When Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church, Jesus asked him, why persecutest thou me? In other words, what Saul did to the believers, Jesus said, you're doing that to me. Therefore, if you neglect the assembling together, you're neglecting Christ. Let's pray.